This is Dr. August Conkel and his teaching on the books of Chronicles. This is session number four, The Lion of Judah. We now have David uh, anchored in the uh, history of Israel as a descendant of Perez through Hezron and Ram. So we know who, this, uh, who Jesse, his father, is and who the one was that God anointed and chose to become the Lion of Judah, which is really the way that uh, Judah is uh, referred to in uh, Genesis chapter 49, which gives us a little bit of a history of the tribes. Uh, and uh, so here we have a little bit of a concluding history of the records of Judah. This uh, concluding history of the records of Judah uh, picks up with some of the names that are back in uh, chapter 2, if we're really interested in a history uh, of Israel, then of course we would pursue that in a little bit more detail. But uh, these distinguished uh, families of Judah are not given a direct genealogical a link by the chronicler, a somewhat more of a distance one. There are the families of Caleb, uh, which we can compare to uh, the sons of Hesion uh, around the area of Hebron uh, at the end of First uh, Chronicles chapter 2. That's the first couple of verses. And then there is uh, Etam, who has links to her, is another son of Caleb, and uh, Ashur, who is the father of Tekoa. Tekoa becomes a rather prominent and famous village south of Jerusalem, known for its distinguished people and sometimes associated with wisdom. Then, unrelated really to the other genealogies, we are introduced to Jabez. Jabez is not uh, given any genealogical link. It's a record that the chronicler has. And the story of Jabez to the chronicler is very, very important. The reason that it's so important uh, is because uh, partly the etymology of his name, which tells us something about his life. Now, the name of Jabez... Uh, I've uh, given here on this chart. Yahavetz, I haven't put the vowels in there, but Yahavetz is the way the name is given. Uh, and that is really a play on another word. Uh, in the uh, book of Genesis, we have the verb atsev. And the verb atsev is going to refer to the curse that comes upon Eve uh, upon her heeding the words to the serpent and believing that somehow they could become like gods. And somehow or another they could be in the position of knowing what is good and knowing what is bad or determining what is good and determining what is bad. Uh, whichever way we want to take uh, that uh, metaphor in Genesis chapter 3. 
So the judgment upon Eve is that you will not actually receive the knowledge that you think you will receive. You think you'll be like God and you can determine what is good or you can know what is good. But in fact, what you're going to get is atzav. Atzav means pain. Now, this is not pain in terms of physical pain. It's rather pain in terms of the most important thing in life, namely, what is going to happen to human relationships. And in Eve's life, in the story of Genesis, uh, we see that pain coming to fruition almost immediately because one of her sons, the oldest, Cain, kills her second son, which is Abel. Now, I honestly uh, cannot uh, conceive or even imagine what it is like for a mother to have one of her own sons kill his brother. But that is the story of Eve, and that is the story of Etzeb. Having children means that what she will have is pain. So this son was named in terms of a pun on this word. And instead of calling us him Atsav, he was called Evet. So just a little change here of two words, but the description in the two verses makes very clear what is meant. This guy was, a, was one who suffered a lot of things that went wrong. Maybe he was also one who did a lot of things that were wrong. Uh, but anyway, he got, he got this uh, reputation for being one who caused pain or suffered pain, uh, who suffered great loss. And what he did is pray. For the chronicler, there is nothing that cannot be resolved if you seek, Dalash is his word, the Lord. And if you pray. So Yevas prays. And his prayer is that his territory may be expanded. So instead of suffering this pain and all of this trouble that he has been experiencing, he asks that the Lord will bless him. And the chronicler's point is the Lord heard his request. And the person Yevets who was known as the one who suffered pain and suffered loss and suffered everything that was wrong, through his seeking of the Lord, was blessed and was prosperous. Now that is in this genealogy, not because there's a genealogical connection, because there isn't one. It's in this genealogy strictly for theological purposes. It's without question a record that the chronicler has about this man that we don't know from any other reference. But his point is that at any point in time, an individual or a group of people can seek the Lord and he can overcome their pain and he will expand their boundaries. Now, here I have to make a point about the chronicler uh, in terms of our own theological application. Uh, in uh, the North, continent of North America especially, we have often uh, dealt with something that has been loosely referred to as the prosperity gospel. In other words, blessing means that God will prosper you 
and enlarge your boundaries. You know, we don't tend to focus on what Jesus says about blessing. Blessed are those who mourn because they'll be comforted. You know, the kingdom of God is of another order. And so the blessing that comes to us may come through pain. That's very much a reality of the Christian life. But there has been that stream within us that has said, no, blessing must always mean prosperity. Now, of course, blessing means prosperity. And God does bless and prosper those who seek him and those who trust in him. This is not to suggest that they may not be among those who mourn. In fact, sometimes what we need is to experience the discipline of mourning so that we understand our own humanity, our own weaknesses, that we understand our own limitations and know that we have to depend on God. Now, this is really the chronicler's point. He's not contradicting Jesus. He is saying we're human. And we by ourselves can't overcome our pain. We by ourselves need to turn to the good shepherd. We need to turn and seek God. And he will comfort us. Now, God comforting us may come with enlarging our boundaries, which is what the chronicler says here, uh, which is not to say that that's the only way in which God will comfort us. Unfortunately, in something called the prosperity gospel, it is sometimes read as if this is always God's will. Uh, God's will for us is that we should be prosperous. And so if we seek God, we will be prosperous. And probably the book that was most uh, famous in that regard was uh, this one by Bruce Wilkinson, a little book uh, takes you about 10 minutes to read in which he talks about the prayer of Yebez, but it became uh, some kind of a bestseller at one point in time. Because this is, this is something we want to believe. We want to believe that God comforting us means he's going to enlarge our boundaries and he's going to prosper us, which, uh, which of course was the way in which the chronicler illustrated God's blessing. The one way, one of the ways that it could come. The Chronicles' point is you have to trust God. His point isn't that God wants us to be prosperous. His point is always you need to learn to know that if you aren't trusting God, you're really in a place of loss. So uh, the result was that uh, Bruce Wilkinson took this message that God always wants us to be prosperous to uh, the country in Africa, between South Africa and Zimbabwe, and Zimbabwe, a little country there in which he was trying to help orphans and children and had this acreage and, and really taught that this is what the gospel was. The story ends very unhappily uh, because the king did not uh, approve of the whole project. The church became very disillusioned and actually Bruce Wilkin himself came to be very broken uh, because essentially he had reduced the chronicler's message to something the chronicler didn't intend to say. The chronicler intended to say, you have to depend on God. You have to know the limitations of your humanity. 
It isn't that you tell God what he must do and that you know what God is going to do. That's not the way that it works. The Chronicles point is trust in God and God will, God will bring you the blessing as he did to Yebez in whatever way God determines to bring the blessing. So, having given that little theological point there, uh, Caleb, uh, the chronicler goes on to talk about Calebites um, who are not the sons of Hezron and Kenizzites. These are those, that other group that you know more from the book of Joshua, uh, the sons of Yefuna. Uh, and uh, they, you know the story of how Aksa, uh, 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 the daughter-in-law, um, wanted uh, uh, water for the cities that they had and uh, so forth. Um, but these then become some of the distinguished groups of Judah which the chronicler is going to list in 16 to 23. The chronicler then moves on to talk about Simeon. And partly he talks about Simeon because Simeon never has a territory of its own. Simeon is always cities. They were cities within the area of Judah. They were generally known for being rather warlike uh, in their methods and aggressive. And uh, two examples of that are given by the chronicler. One is in the time of Hezekiah, uh, where they expand to the west, into the area of the Philistines. And then another he gives is in the uh, area of Edom, where they expand to the south and to the east. So the, the uh, tribe of Simeon, though it never has a whole territory of its own, is a tribe that is prosperous and is a tribe that very much belongs uh, within Judah and within the other tribes. Here now then is where the chronicler comes around to give us his explanation of why we must start with Judah why it is that Judah is the ruling tribe. His explanation is this. Reuben forfeited his birthright because of his aborted attempt to become the leader of the tribes prematurely. He tried, when, when, when Rachel died, he tried to make Bilhah, her handmaiden, his own handmaiden, which would essentially give him the status of rights of property and rights of birthright while Judah was still very much alive. And this was something that was very offensive. Referred to in Genesis and in, in, in the narrative and then again in the poem in chapter 49 that Judah was very aware of Reuben's aggressive and wrong attempt to become the leader of the tribes. That then brings him to talk about Joseph. Now, Joseph is very significant in that, in some sense, Joseph receives the right of the birthright from Isaac. You'll remember in Genesis 48, the blessing of Ephraim and Isaac, and uh, of Ephraim and um, Manasseh. And uh, that uh, Isaac uh, designates these as, in essence, the heir of his family. Uh, so they do have the right of the firstborn 
And as we are going to see when we come to look at the tribes of Judah, Ephraim and Manasseh do have the right of the firstborn. They have the birthright. They are by far the dominant territory within historical Israel. So this is acknowledged by the chronicler, and he takes this again from Genesis uh, by noting that this was Isaac's determination in giving the birthright to Joseph, and of course it comes about through his sons Ephraim and Manasseh. But the leading tribe comes to be Joseph, uh, Judah. The leading tribe comes to be Judah. And this is seen in the story of Joseph being sold to the brothers. You will recall that um, Joseph was uh, thrown into the pit, left to die, and then the brothers sold him to uh, a caravanning group uh, as a mercenary group to sell him to be a slave in Egypt something that was completely contrary to the instructions of Judah. And from that point on in the whole narrative, Judah really is the one who becomes the leader of the brothers. And so the chronicler uses this as his basis for saying, God designated Judah, of whom David is the descendant, to be the ruling tribe and the fulfillment of the promise. So then he goes on to talk about the tribes. And he talks about the tribes on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, the sons of Reuben and then the sons of God. And in t- talking about the sons of, Ga- of Gad in Bashan and Gilead, he talks again about a war of expansion. This is the only place where we know about this. With a certain group called the Hagarites, uh, who were descendants of Ishmael over to the east. So essentially these tribes were extending uh, their territory over to the uh, east uh, towards the desert. And then there's the tribe of Manasseh up in Bashan. And he ends then with the account of the exile of these tribes of Israel. Now, it'll be helpful for us here to uh, have a little bit of uh, geography in terms of... uh, the uh, uh, places where these uh, people are because uh, the way the chronicler uh, explains it uh, isn't quite the same way as you might see it on the average uh, map. Uh, If you look at this map here, you can see that Manasseh has the largest territory, and a big part of its territory is over here on the east side of the Jordan River. Um, But uh, we see that God we place more in the south, and Reuben more in the south. So the chronicler says that God had territories all the way up into the area of Bashan. And then he names Manasseh as having territories all the way to the north up to... um, the mountains that are the source of the Jordan River. Uh, It does though make the basic point that Ephraim and Manasseh are by far the dominant tribes in Israel. They are the ones that have the birthright. And the other tribes of Reuben 
are really down here more to the uh, north of the Arnon and then Gad a little bit to the north of where Reuben was and this becomes their territory. When they expand to the east, of course, they're expanding towards the desert over in that direction there. So that's a little bit of the geography of uh, the, the tribes and where they are. Uh, so that uh, then uh, brings us back to uh, the chronicler's story of uh, the Transjordan tribes and the way in which they end up in exile. So the chronicler is very aware of the exile of the north, but he doesn't consider the continuing history of those tribes after they were exiled by uh, Sargon II to be of great significance. That's where he leaves that account. This is Dr. August Kunkel and his teaching on the books of Chronicles. This is session number four, The Lion of Judah. Mm-hmm.